With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus nfl are you down with the march madness fever then check out the big podcast with Shaq on podcast one Sportsnet. listen to the big guy himself for the best basketball coverage of the ncaa tournament with a few laughs thrown in as well get the inside scoop and download new episodes of the big podcast with Shaq every monday on podcast one welcome in to the pff nfl podcast steve palazzolo here with sam monson how you doing this morning Doing good, Steve. How about you? Great. Good opening. <laughs> Perfect. I Nailed that one. Nailed it. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to uh, the big boss, Chris. We know he's always listening. Neil, he's in, uh, you know traveling through Europe. I know he'll be listening. Right. So, we better uh, get it out quickly so he can uh, put it on his, on his phone so we can listen yes. to it on the plane. This is good. This is important. Neil needs some listening uh, material yeah. while he's on the road. Um, so today, Gronk's retirement. We have to discuss Gronk. Okay. Is he a Hall of Famer? How good was he in the PFF era? All that stuff. We'll do a little draft discussion. Uh, you've been doing a ton of hard work on the draft. We'll get more of your thoughts. This is going to be great every week just because I, I love where you come from. You don't know anything about these players right. until you actually study them. Yeah, until I actually look at them. Renner and I are you know, following along and you know, building our takes as we go. You're just like, like a puppy. Okay. Like a little puppy just learning, learning his way. Huh. When it comes to the draft class. All right. So we'll get some takes from you when it comes to the draft, and maybe we'll hit on... Do we hit on Johnny Menzel in the AAF at all? Yeah, yeah, let's do like a little segment. little AAF segment. Okay. Okay, let's start with Gronk. Hall of Famer. Yes. I mean, this isn't even the a end. question, right? 
Well, apparently it is because listen. I, let's not even. I think I know who the guy in question is. Well, I think it's Ron Borges okay. of the Boston Herald. Do you want to know his history? Sure. It's just Mr. Contrarian. This is what that's I'm just, saying. That's the just only, what he does. The only way you could the only way you could come at that take of Gronk may not get in the hall. I don't know if I'd vote for him. Is being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Right. Like nobody could actually look at his resume and believe that. And if you do, if you actually look at his resume and you believe that, your Hall of Fame vote should be given up and handed to one of those game picking octopuses that you see that like pick the World Cup, you know. Which, choose which choose which fish related morsel next to a country's flag will win this game. They get your, you, they get your that, vote. That guy should get the vote. That octopus should get the vote instead of the person that believes that Gronk is not a Hall of Fame. Well, that might be Ron. I mean, Ron's history is like the Patriots win the Super Bowl 13-3. to Eh, not that impressive. They should have won by 20. You know, that's like that's kind of his, mm. his take. Oh, six Super Bowls? Well, it easily could have been 10. Left a bunch on the table. Yeah. That's kind of his shtick. Was a big fan of uh, they really missed on David Terrell by picking Richard Seymour over him. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole... It's just a history of like anti. Uh, he's just an anti patriot, is what he is. So I'm just assuming that's him. So regardless, I don't want to argue with trolls, but let's state our case. I mean, Gronk is a clear first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe the best tight end of all time. Yeah, I mean, I don't look. First ballot is pointless to me. Right, that's just a you're either a of Hall of Famer or you're not. The first ballot thing is basically determined by what the landscape looks like the year you come up. But it's used as, used as a descriptor for how it strong is, your but case is. I, it, to me, it's silly. I don't, it, you're either a Hall of Famer or not. Gronk okay. is clearly a Hall of Famer. Let's run through some numbers, shall we? Let's do it. Um, in the PFF era, if you like, so 2006 onwards, there have been seven seasons from a tight end that have earned a PFF grade of 90 or more. The first six of them are Gronk. So he has one, two, three, four, five, six. The first six of the seven 90-plus grades. The only other one is Tony Gonzalez. That's pretty impressive right off the bat. Um, The other thing is, so I tweeted last night, which kind of riled some people up, that Gronk basically had no comparable peers throughout his entire career. Now, there were other good tight ends. You've got Travis Kelsey. You've got Jimmy Graham for that period before he went, kind of fell off and then went to the Seattle and fell off even more. Um, You've got Greg Olson, who's been a great tight end for the Panthers. Those three in particular have been really spectacular players. They have not been comparable peers to Gronk. No, not at all because of the all-around nature of his game. Maybe as receivers for a while, each one of those has been able to rival him. Maybe. But But even then, I think there there was a point where Graham, Gronk, as receivers, like a two-year period right. where it was like a viable debate. Yes. I don't think Greg Olson was ever truly in the... Like, Greg Olson had a ton of volume. It right. was a very good player. There's a couple of seasons, I think, where Greg Olson is in that conversation. Kelsey versus Gronk for a couple of years, right. maybe, as a receiver. So each one of them, for as a receiver, for a couple of years, have had seasons that rival Gronk, right? Greg Olson became the first tight end ever to have like three back-to-back thousand-yard receiving seasons which, I mean, okay, that's great, but honestly, that just says more about you were there for three straight seasons healthy, you know? I mean, that's pretty much the biggest knock on Gronk's career, right? right? Like, Gronk would have had that if he hadn't got broken during that course, but right. if you just spread, you know, if you just look at the three closest to full seasons, it's the same, you know what I mean? So it's not a, it's not a stat I would be leaning my case on, but the point is, all three of those guys, A, they didn't have the kind of longevity to do it over an extended period of time. Kelsey still has time to do it. So he could get there. 
B, none of those guys have been the kind of blocking threat that Rob Gronkowski has been. And the reason that matters, so we're, we're coming at this from a world of saying the run game doesn't matter, nothing, you know, blah, blah, blah. None of that is consequential anymore. But the reason that stuff matters is because the single hardest players on offense to defend are guys that put you in a personnel problem, right? Right from the get-go. Before they've done anything, yep. there is an issue with how you treat them from a personnel standpoint. And there are players like... Um, you know, Aaron Hernandez was when he would carry the ball in the backfield. Ty Montgomery, where he moved from wide receiver to running back. Um, Le'Veon Bell, going the other way, can move from the backfield out to wide. Those guys cause real problems for defenses because as soon as they come on the field, as soon as they're in the huddle, you have to look at them and decide how you're going to treat that guy. Do you treat him as his actual position or do you treat him as a receiving weapon and put a defensive back on the field and the, the issues that that causes? Gronk was that all the way throughout his career because he was such a threat as a dominant blocking tight end. He could block like an auxiliary tackle that you go, okay, well, I'm going to put a safety on him. That safety is going to get annihilated by Gronk in the run game. So now you have a real problem because what would have been three yards in a cloud of dust turns into eight yards because the safety just got destroyed and Gronk's bought him a clear path through to the second level. So... Gronk was a better blocker than all of those guys at any point in their career and for longer. And with guys like Graham and Olsen in particular, those guys have been bad blockers. Well, and Gronk put up monster run blocking grades, which you guys can see in your PFF elite package, premium stats. He put up really good run blocking grades, and they were, they were challenging him. You know, a lot of tight ends, they get put in the slot, and they're split out wide all the time. The point you're making is, well, the Patriots lined him up in line. They used him as an H-back in motion. They put him in the backfield every now and again. But he was on the line blocking defensive ends yeah. quite often. Or um, their little wham block that they like to run on nose tackles and all that stuff. Gronk was great at it. Gronk also owns the top two run blocking grades we've ever given tight ends. So there's some perspective. So there are tight ends that right. are there literally just to run block, have no receiving purpose whatsoever. The third guy on that list is Ben Hartsock, who basically ran like... 45 pass patterns the year where he was right he uh, was legitimately just an extra right. tackle he was exactly he was an extra tackle as a blocker um 45 pass patterns is the game for a tight end and he ran that in a season gronk has two seasons that are better run blocking grades than ben hartsock had so even if you just want to limit it to a blocking tight end perspective gronk is the best we've ever seen since 2006 plus when you add up all the postseason accolades you know when he was healthy when he was healthy and on the field in the postseason. Now, again, this works for and against Gronk. But here are the years where he was healthy throughout the entire postseason. 2010, Patriots were one and done. That was his rookie season. 2011, he got hurt before the Super Bowl. Tried to limp through the Super Bowl. 2012, got hurt in the AFC Championship game. So he was out there. 2013, out in the playoffs. Was not there. But 2014, his first uh, healthy season, they win the Super Bowl. 2015, he was healthy. They lose in the AFC Championship. So he's essentially one for two, or one for three in healthy years winning Super Bowls. Um, 2016, he was hurt during the, down the stretch. They won it without him. 2017, they lost in the Super Bowl. He had a monster game. So what are they, one for four now? And then they were two for five because last year he was healthy. You know, So, I mean, he's had five healthy postseason runs, two of which resulted in Super Bowls, one Super Bowl loss, a couple AFC Championship losses. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that really makes him stand out from everybody else is that 
he was a blocker in an era where in order to make tight ends these incredible receiving weapons, they basically sacrificed blocking. So guys like Jimmy Graham. Antonio and, Gates. You could, I mean, you could write a list of these, all the great receiving tight ends with the exception of Gronk over the last sort of 15 years have all not been good blockers. Teams have gone, you know what? It's actually not that valuable. If we get a guy that's a matchup weapon as a receiver, we'll live with the fact that he's a bad blocker. Gronk was basically the only guy over that stretch who said you can have both. You can have the dynamic receiver and the guy who can block like old school tight ends um, in a way that nobody else has been able to do over that stretch. I like the way my um, somewhat relative, Doug Kide, who's on the New England Patriots beat. Do you know we're related? Doug yeah, I, I've heard the relation and I'm not, I'm not even ever going to attempt to commit it to memory. So he married my wife's stepmom's cousin's daughter. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're related, Doug and I, right. you know, by marriage. Uh, but Doug, you know, covers the Patriots and he basically, I thought it was an interesting take because he said if Gronk was doing all of, all of his antics, all of his fun off the field stuff that he does that people, I think most people think it's fun. Imagine if he was doing that not with the Patriots, you would immediately say, oh, this guy would never play with the Patriots. Right. Right. But they made it work. You know, the Patriots who have the Patriots way and, you know, this, you know, structured, here's how you have to do it versus Gronk, who likes to do his own thing off the field. But when it came to, you know, doing interviews and all that stuff, he pretty much fell in line. I think you almost have to just credit both sides that they kind of made things work. And I think that also speaks to how great he was that the Patriots would adjust a little bit to some of his, you know, quirks. His touchdown kind of rate is also pretty absurd, yeah. particularly for a tight end, but for well, any receiver. Before you, before you mention it, so this is, this is the biggest thing, right? When you have Hall of Fame debates, you debate the, uh, you know, the rate type of stuff, the per-game type of stuff versus longevity. I think there are two ways to get into the Hall of Fame. Longevity is important, and then true dominance is important. I think when you're talking true dominance, there is no peer when it comes to tight end in the history of the NFL. When it, it's, it's Rob Gronkowski, the most right. dominant tight end. Certainly the best anybody else could do is match that. But he is tied for 28th in the NFL's all-time touchdown receptions list, right? And he only played for nine years. Wow. And he didn't play for nine years. Right. And injured Because he only played in the NFL for nine years, but how many of those did he actually play? Right. So that's an absurd rate. He's two touchdowns behind Steve Smith, who played for like 15 years. He's, you know, he's right there with Calvin Johnson, who had a similar kind of period but calvin johnson's arguably the most dominant wide receiver that's ever played in terms of his peak so these are the guys that you're looking at in terms of touchdowns and he's a tight end a position that typically hasn't got all the touchdowns like how many career touchdowns does jason witten have he has more than witten doesn't he uh yeah let me find witten so like witten's a guy as soon as grok got into the league the immediate comparison was like oh he's jason witten because jason witten Jason Witten was not as good of a run blocker, but he was willing to mix it up, and he was yeah. challenged the same way. Gronk surpassed him as a run blocker. Witten has 68 touchdowns, so 11 fewer than Gronk in, what, five more years? Yeah, at least. At least five more years. Um, so, yeah, the debate of you know, true dominance over a shorter period of time, and we're still talking nine years, the better part of nine years, right? You know, just like if Gronk went out there and stumbled through four more average seasons just to accumulate stats— I don't think that should necessarily enhance his Hall of Fame no. credentials. To me, it's a better case walking away now than it would be to have four crappy years at the end of his career. Yeah. And that's so, like what Witten did at the end of his career 77 catches, 75 catches, 63 catches. But you're talking like 
nine yards a pop on, during those years. I mean, Gronk could roll out there and do that and have a bunch of years of high, you know, 70 catches, nine yards a pop, a few more touchdowns, and just accumulate stats. But that shouldn't necessarily enhance your case. And that's not like Witten's peak was really, really good. It was outstanding. But that's, say, the difference between a Gronk versus a Witten versus maybe a, a Tony Gonzalez was still playing at a pretty high level yeah. his whole career. I think for but. Gronk, it's a great time to go because, you know, you've, pro- you've, you've fairly well established a Hall of Fame career, credentials yep. wise. You've got Super Bowl rings, which is the thing most people are usually chasing when they're deciding whether or not to hang them up. Right. You've got, I mean, you've literally got nothing to play for, right? You've made the millions. You've got the rings. You've got a Hall of Fame resume. All you're doing at that point is trying to burnish your record further and risk injury. He, he and as claims, a guy who's already had a lot of injury. He claims he's only lived off his endorsement money. Right. And that he's essentially pocketed his $60 million that he's made from the yeah. NFL. That's that's impressive. So, I mean, he's a guy who doesn't have anything to keep going for. Like, yeah. the only thing he could do is to hang on for as long as he could and see how far up that list he could put himself. But you're never going to put yourself number one because, you know, that's Jerry Rice, who's never going to get called because he hung on for like 45 years. He did. Like, you know, the, what, the best, I mean, if you're looking at Gronk, the best you could reasonably hope for is to chase down um, Tony Gonzalez, who had 111 career touchdowns. So he could get that, but it's probably going to take him five more years of physical punishment. And is that worth it to, to get yourself just one ahead of Tony Gonzalez? No, because Raw's in Boston tonight. So he's just going to go show up, WWE Raw. Okay. That's why the timing's perfect. I'm just saying, I think it's a good, it's a good time to walk away. Oh, he doesn't have a reason to right. keep going. Yeah. The way I, a lot of players do. I completely agree. Here's, let me just let's put a bow on it. Okay. okay? When you look at the, the Patriots dynasty or dynasty, mm-hmm. Sam... You know, it's this 18-plus year run, but I think there is kind of a line drawn in the sand where the Patriots were starting to fall off a little bit around 2009, and the 2010 draft was was just a franchise-changing draft for them that started the whole second part of the run, so to speak. That was when they got Gronk and they got Devin McCourty, two guys that have just been obvious, you know, very important pieces in three more uh, Super Bowl wins. They did get Aaron Hernandez that year. They did get guys like Brandon Spikes. Who Spikes contributed a little bit. Hernandez, of course, we know the tragedy there, but the, uh, you know, he was on his way to being a major impact player too. But I think that 2010 draft, Gronk and McCourty, kind of set the wheels in motion for the second half yeah. of the Patriots dynasty for this whole decade as well. I mean, to me, that's another part of, of Gronk's legacy. And you know, the Patriots offense has evolved every which way, and he was a big part of them evolving to a two tight end offense and then when they went spread it didn't matter because like you said he could do everything he can line up in line and create mismatches in the run game he can line up out wide and create mismatches in the passing game and they used him as such so yeah i just i don't think there has been a more dominant player during his career probably in the nfl like he's right up there with the aaron donalds the jj watts for that brief period the tom brady's like there aren't there aren't comparable peers to Rob Gronkowski. That's the only point I would make. There have been other great tight ends during his career. There have been no comparisons to what he's done. All right. Rob Gronkowski, an easy slam dunk Hall of Famer. There's no questions. After. If you're not voting for him, your vote goes to an octopus. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to go NFL draft as I get my read up? Okay. Sure. Do you want to go to the draft? Yeah. Why not? I love when you start like a puppy diving like a into the draft. 
All of our draft coverage brought to you by Eckridge, the official smoked sausage of the college football playoff. Eckridge is the go-to solution for your favorite game day dish, available in a variety of flavors and forms. Eckridge smoked sausage is versatile enough to be paired with whatever you have on hand, so you can create a meal that will satisfy everyone's appetites before focusing on the game. Pick up Eckridge Smoked Sausage from your local grocer's refrigerated section today. Eckridge will also be offering fans a chance to win $1 million at some of the top college football matchups during the 2019 season. Visit EckridgeFootball.com for more information. The million-dollar challenge, man. I'm excited for it next year. Can't wait to see where they go. You're not allowed to do it, though, are you? No, I am disqualified. Right. As a former professional thrower of objects, I am Having seen you accurately try and throw things, though, I wouldn't be tremendously concerned. Oh, come on. What do you mean? I mean, you've got some heat. It's just scattershot. Well, that's why I'm doing football now. Right. Right. I was not a control artist. No, I'm just saying, you know, in a, if the object of the, the game was to knock over the target, I think you'd, you'd be right up there. Could win a million dollars. Right. But if the object is to put the ball through the barely larger than ball shaped hole, I'm, I'm not gambling on you. Oh, man. I'll have to pull out my. I'm on YouTube pitching. I, I know. And only my best outings. Yeah. So you can see, I threw some strikes <laughs> 90 to 94 pumping strikes. Okay. I was. All right. All right. So let's do some. You wanted to do some draft sleepers because you're yeah. just you're doing all your work and you're like, man, these guys, they need more love. Yes. So I found some. I don't know if you want to call them sleepers. I got some sleepers. I have guys. We, we call my guys every now and again when Renner and I go, you know, who you've been watching that you really uh-huh. like. So let's let's who are your guys? Who are, are your sleepers? Are you, you about to, to break out sleepers that aren't in any way sleepers? You know, who's a sleeper is Kyler Murray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go they are sleepers. the weeds. Here's the thing. If you follow enough football people, there's no such thing as a sleeper anymore. Right. Someone loves everybody. Yeah, yeah. But there's like, it's how many people love him. I know. Right? I, you're not, I mean, you, you're probably never going to be first on a guy but anymore. But you're going to drop gonna your sleeper, and then some guy is going to be like, ah, dude, I had him back in 2011 right. when he was a sophomore in high school. But I don't sleeper. care like when you were on him. I care by right now nobody's putting him anywhere near the first couple of rounds. Okay, That's, fair. to me, what determines a sleeper. Like, you know, I... Yeah, there are, there are players that I've been on basically as soon as anybody, but anyone that was watching these guys in high school Quentin has Nelson. a leg up on me. Quentin Nelson, I was first. Yeah, that kind of thing. So high school recruiting people got all over Josh Norris last year because they didn't know a guy. He was like just learning about a guy who happened to be a top recruit, and they were uh-huh. like, oh, dude, we've, kn- we've known him since the 80s. Right. You know, they're just I don't follow recruiting at all. Therefore, the closest I'm going to come to knowing about a guy in college is his first college game. If you knew him before that, you beat me. My favorite thing is when I tell you this guy was a former five-star. Yeah, yeah. You know all that. I do. I don't. Right. I don't know any of that. Who's your first sleeper, Sam? Uh, USC left tackle Chuma Adoga. Okay. I think he could be a really good pass-blocking tackle at the next level. You see so many of these. Um, I'm going to do some research while we're on here. Yeah? Okay, you do that. He's got some pretty good pass-blocking numbers as well. In the old PFF archives. Oh, very good. I can tell you that. But if you look at some of his senior bowl drills, um, you know I'm a big fan of the senior bowl, Steve. You love the senior bowl. I do. I like the senior bowl. It's it's the – so a lot of the – we've talked before about how some of the question marks of the PFF grades is, okay, the grade is really good, but who did he face? The senior bowl, it kind of takes away that question because everybody there is at least some level of all-star. Right. Now, okay, there are levels within the levels. Some guys are absurd and some guys are, you know, not. But – in theory, everybody there is at least relatively strong competition. So if you've got a guy that stands out at the Senior Bowl and does well, um, 
it says something. It says something more than, well, he beat up seven guys you're never going to hear of that are going to be driving for UPS next year. Um, but this guy was able to mirror uh, edge rushers in a way nobody else was that day. He was doing these drills where he would start off at left tackle and he'd basically run the arc with the guy, block him all the way past the quarterback, but then the guy would keep going and he'd wind up at like right tackle again, still in front of the guy. Essentially, the guy just ran a large circle around the pocket, getting nowhere near, getting nowhere closer to the quarterback the longer it went. That, not only is that impressive, but I saw him do that multiple times, and I don't know that I've seen anybody do that more than once before. That kind of stood out as pretty impressive. He was really good at the senior bowl. He was one of the guys we did highlight as you know, winning that week. He had two dominant rushes against Zach Allen. Um, there was a lot. Uh, Zach Allen, the BC uh, edge rusher who you know has you know some first round potential what i was trying to dive into here which i've already uh i've already looked up previously but essentially you know we've we've been doing these studies on the board here taking pff our ultimate data which is you know our dive into the database and all that stuff so over the last three years i've sorted by all tackles okay. since 2016 and these are snaps where there's no blitz no stunt no play action Time to throw was at least 2.1 seconds. Who had the best pass blocking grades? And he's in the he's number 11 among, okay. among tackles. He's up there. So his grade is a little bit lower. But the pressure percentage is number 3. 2.3% yeah. of dropbacks he's allowed pressure. That's only three pressures on 130 snaps. Now, while the grade's a little bit lower, I think, is in the Pac-12. The more you study the Pac-12... Um, been talking to Ben Stockwell about this a little bit because he's been doing a lot of work on this behind the scenes. It's just the college football is kind of like losing the art of the edge rusher. Yeah. Even though there's a lot coming to the NFL, a lot of teams are just like three-man front. They'll have like one guy maybe rush from the edge. But the point is there's not that true two edge defenders truly getting after the quarterback every single snap. So there's a lot of snaps where you're facing kind of like the, like the heavy set defensive tackle type of player and the rushers on the other side. And it kind of flips. Um, so you're not challenged a ton in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 for this matter. Right. You know, this is how teams are combating the spread offense. This is what's making some of the evaluation stuff tough. Um, but if you just look at pressure percentage in those situations, Dalton Reisner, number one, our guy from Kansas State. Chuma's number three. Jonah Williams from Alabama is number four. So he's among these first-round type of uh, names. Right. And plus he looks the part from, a, you know, just looks like a good pass protector as far as his movement and what we saw at the Senior Bowl. Okay. So I like it. Three pressures on 130 snaps there. All right. Who's your first uh, first round sleeper? First, So this guy could sneak into the first round. <laughs> um, I don't know what the NFL thinks about him, but Darnell Savage from Maryland. Uh, we talk about like one-play scouting all the time. I'm not. A, this isn't one-play scouting. It's, it's like just his highlight play scouting, though. Okay. Taking all of his highest-graded plays. Darnell Savage, who ran a sub-4-4-40 that shows up on the field at Maryland. He has had one of the highest percentage of positively graded uh, plays in coverage. Highest percentage of positive, positive plays in coverage over the last two years at Maryland. He's also had a high percentage of negatives. So this analysis here is banking on the high-end stuff. When you okay. put him in the right role, I think he'd be a fantastic robber. That robber role, so you have a free, single high free safety, and he's the guy that's kind of patrolling the middle of the field. I've got to show you some of his plays, Sam. Some of the plays that he closes on, his acceleration is just spectacular. It is off the charts. I think he could be a turnover machine at the next level if used 
in the right role, has to cut down on his open field missed tackles. There's some ugly ones in there. I liked your question of, you know, every, every single year there's one safety that nobody's banking on going in the first round. Right. And, you know, who is it this year? Yeah. And get, get the suggestions. And the thing is, basically nobody you could possibly suggest is going to be crazier than what actually happens. Like uh, Edmonds going in the first round yeah. last year, who was a sixth-round pick for us, a fifth-round pick for other people. Like, no, you know, there's almost nobody you could pick out of the air right. and say, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. Yeah, all the guys it won't that, be more ridiculous than the one that did happen last year. I posed the question on Twitter yesterday, and the people that su- were suggested to me are actually like fringe first-round picks. Right. Like, oh, Taylor Rapp, uh, Nasir Adderley, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I'm looking down our list of guys that are – we have them as second-round safeties. Darnell Savage, who I just mentioned. Amani Hooker from Iowa. Juan Thornhill from Virginia. These are all guys that are pretty much going to be second-round right. graded safeties for us. And yes, th- of course those guys could end up in the first. Like, no, you need to go deeper. Who's, I'm talking who's like Keanu Neal came out of nowhere. Terrell, Tremaine, which one's which? Terrell was the, Terrell safety. Was the safety. So Terrell literally came out of nowhere. Like two weeks before the draft, right. they're like, hey, the other Edmonds brother might end up in the first round. We're like, what? But the whole thing, thing came from that one team. Yeah, someone had a sealer source. It was like, hey, right. Edmonds might go in the first round. It was Keep like, what? Edmonds. You're out of your mind. And then it's only because the Steelers were the team that wanted right. it. And then uh, Keon O'Neill was a big surprise, I think, in the first round a few years ago. We talked about him on the last podcast and on the YouTube channel a little bit this week. There's also rogue second and third round safeties. The Patriots are known for this all the time. The Patriots have taken Jordan Richards, Tavon Wilson. They took Deron Harmon in the third, which I think was a big surprise, but has panned out. But the Patriots have been known for taking rogue safeties that nobody seems to be on much higher. But the safety, safety seems to be that position, right? Yeah. It's difficult to evaluate. It's based so much on scheme fit yes. that if you looked at 32 team boards, say just safety rankings, they would, they would be all over the place. I bet the, the volatility on that would be strong. Yeah, and as we talked about before, it's so much down to where you're going to put this guy. Someone playing free safety may have no shot of playing in the box and vice versa. You might love a guy as your box safety, but if anybody else doesn't need one of those, anyone else already has one of those in the building – you're basically not looking at this guy. So, right. you know, one team may jump on them as a first-round prospect and half the teams in the league have no need for him. Yeah, so that's, that's what makes safety interesting. Darnell Savage, a guy, uh, I'm just on him for what he can add from a coverage standpoint. Does need to cut down on those missed tackles. I wrote, we'll fly around to missed tackles, not sure I care. I, I just feel like the coverage, the coverage upside that he has there, playmaking ability, might trump everything. Okay. All, All right. right, that's my guy. All right, one more for each of us. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Gary Jennings, wide receiver from West Virginia, is comfortably the better West Virginia wide receiver. Everyone wants to talk about David Sills because he's got some great backstory about being recruited as a quarterback when he was like seven by Lane Kiffin or something, which seemed to pop up every time I was watching a West Virginia game. That's the story. Right. And for some reason, this makes him this really you know interesting person to look at, but Jennings is a way better wide receiver. Way better. He's faster. He's got as good ball skills. He can get open, which is something David Sills seems to struggle with. Um, and if he gets to the next level and the quarterback isn't relentlessly throwing the ball at David Sills in the red zone, then and actually gives him a look, we might see some of that. So I think Gary Jennings could be a sleeper wide receiver. Yeah, I like it. The, the, again, the receiver corner safety classes – have so much depth. There, there are guys like that. If you find the right role, use him properly, they can, uh, they can be valuable. Uh, the other guy I'm going to highlight, 
Ronheen Bingham from Arkansas State. Okay. Now, Arkansas State has had a couple product- productive edge rushers the last couple of years, but Bingham's a better athlete. I'm not sure where he's going to land on our final board. Currently looking at him in the third-round range. I might make the push to say, no, he's a second-round dude. We've got we to gotta push him more. His pass rush grades have been fantastic. And then using the same thing I used to soar at Chuma Adoga, so no blitzes, no stunts, no play action, time to throws over two seconds. Should make it even even quicker. We could do quick pressures too Oh, because we're looking at edge rushers. Let's take out – So this is pressure up to 3.5 seconds. Best pass rush grade, best win percentage. Here it is. Best win percentage. So times that you're either getting a pressure or just beating your blocker is Bingham. Over the last couple of years, 31.3%, just above Nick Bosa from Ohio number. State. It's a really high number. Bosa's at 30.8. The next closest is Anthony Nelson from Iowa at 24.9. So he's 7% above the third place guy. And he's a little bit higher than Nick Bosa. It's only 144 snaps. Sample size, it's over, but it's over three years. And we're talking uh, 29 pressures on 144 attempts plus 16 other wins only two of which have been unblocked. So 31 pressures on 144 snaps there, 31.3 win percentage when you include those other wins. He beat Jonah Williams uh, when they went head-to-head in the Alabama game with a killer spin move. So this is my issue with Bingham that I need to dig into the PFF data more. I got to see how many of his wins were spin moves because when you're watching the film, there's like 8 million of them. Don't even begin to tell me that's a negative. I know you're Mr. Spin Move. Spin moves are awesome, and they always work the end oh man i don't know that so that was charles harris a couple years ago so this it's is where i'm dwight freedy for his entire career yeah but freedy had everything that was, he had right everything. but he all of his highlights with, were the spin move it's highlights but he would he, he was speed he was speed to power he was everything he had everything bull rush he could do it all long arm freedy had everything just saying it's all spin he set it up because he had everything else bingham has you now he beat jonah williams with an outside spin move made him look silly we got to post the video it's really really good jonah doesn't get whipped like that often but a pretty good small school prospect in bingham i just want to dig in and more and see if he's too heavily reliant on your spin move because now we're talking brooks reed spinning into nobody we're talking charles harris those guys relied on it a ton as well there's no such thing as being too reliant on an awesome spin move you've just you're just a spin move apologist through the years it's one of our it's one of our inside jokes here around the office. That's how funny we are. We have inside jokes about you loving spin moves. Hey, you're the one who brought it up. All right, so there's a couple sleepers. Chuma Adoga, Gary Jennings for you, Darnell Savage, and Ronheem, Ronheem Bingham for me. Okay. So we'll get some more sleepers for, yeah. uh, for next week. Those seem, you know, deep enough sleepers. Oh, I think so. No first-round pick in there. The uh, work continues on the draft. We're going to be finalizing our draft board and position rankings this week. It's all going into draft guide version 2. Yep. Which is next week, I believe. Yeah. After my birthday. Oh, I have to get my uh, Sunday this week. Oh, yeah. Sunday from Graders. Right. Yes. Thanks for reminding me. Then you can go to Starbucks, right? Get a free coffee as well. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. going to be a big Sunday <laughs> for Kelly and I, since we have the same exact birth. My wife and I are born on the same exact day. This Sunday is our yeah. birthday. Matt didn't even know that. The exact same age, Matt. Three thirty-one eighty-two. We were both born. Um. But yeah, last year at the air, we were at the airport and uh, stumbled upon the fact that I got a free safety right. from local hero graders over we didn't here, even know that. Cincinnati's own ice cream. So, so then I went and got the, uh, the loyalty card as well, just to make sure. You did, right. yeah. So you got your big <laughs> Sunday. This, it was exciting times. Um, the fact that the draft guide 
drops week after my birthday is what reminded me of that. So that's what yeah. I was trying to push. The draft guide drops next week. We'll have right. our position rankings in it. We'll have some more FCS product, uh, prospects with data in there, which would be yes. great. And you'll see your Adderley's full grades and the senior um, bowl stuff will be in there. Kalen Saunders, who could do backflips and all that stuff at defensive tackle. So a lot of cool guys in there. Um, and then we'll be dropping all of our scouting profiles and all those rankings on the YouTube channel and all that fun stuff. So be sure to go get your PFF Edge and Elite to get your draft guide update yeah. if you don't already and have it. Exactly. And if you already have it, it'll just be a new file for you to download on the website when it goes live. Great. So let's wrap it up today with um, AAF. Yeah. Johnny okay. Manziel played football again. How'd it go? I mean, okay, it graded well. It was like eight snaps or something, so it's not or eight dropbacks, so it wasn't. We the, need uh, the full breakdown. The most comprehensive debut in the world. No, we need to project it forward. But completely. his first completion was a nice uh, deep shot down the left sideline into a hole in coverage. Um, they broke him out there with some zone read stuff. Johnny Football takes off, scampering for a first down before sliding away. Um, started jawing with the defenders. On mic'd up because this is the AAF. You can hear what they're saying. Took some shots at some guys after he got sacked. So, Never changed, Johnny. Right. I mean, it was you know it's fun enough. I, 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 Manzel, I suspect is who Manzel has always been, look which this, is sorry. Just look at this accuracy data. Yeah. Look at Hackenface. Yeah. Well, Hackenberg's bad. That's what's bad. amazing is that's that Berkovici's even worse. Berkovici's lower than Hackenberg in our. Uh, accuracy data right i mean I'm, I'm kind of okay with stomping on hackenberg's grade basically until the end of time because you know people have been trying to manufacture a career for the guy nailed it nailed but Berkovici is another quarterback that i've always thought is one of the worst passers i've ever seen in my life i did his the highest college grade of his career was a game that i graded and i came out of that game saying he was a terrible quarterback like if you grade in the 90s and the guy grading it thinks you're terrible you really suck and turns out he really sucks. Man. But. You're just harsh. So Johnny Football, sure, he'll, I mean, you know, this is a chance for him to show that he can still play. Maybe he'll get an NFL shot down the line somewhere back in the comeback trail, right? But what about talking about a few other guys that actually deserve second NFL chances based off the AAF? Do you have some players? Yeah, I got a couple. Can we start with John Wolford? Yes, I think we should start with the quarterbacks, period. Okay. Uh, John Wolford, the Arizona Hotshots QB, grading at 78.1. He's too short. Yes. I mean, that was the big knock last year. But he had a couple good years at Wake Forest, graded well for us there. Um, played uh, the final preseason game for the Jets last year. Those week five, preseason, well, week four preseason games where they just throw everybody out there. He had the full start, did okay. And uh, he's played pretty well for Arizona. I think, yeah, I think there's a few quarterbacks. Honestly, the best thing this league is doing right now, it might not be... A, we don't know whether it's a good or a bad developmental league for quarterbacks yet. I don't know how much better these guys are getting by playing a season in the AF. But what I think it is doing is sort of raising the possibility that some of these quarterbacks deserve a second shot or a second look at the NFL. Some of them don't. Hackenberg, for example, or Cavici. But keep piling on. there are some quarterbacks that do. Walford is one. I think Garrett Gilbert is another one. Yeah, he's played, he's played pretty well. Um and all the, almost all the ones that are playing well are the guys that graded well for us in college have less than ideal physical tools, whether it's too small, too slight, don't have a big enough arm, whatever it is. They're the sort of standard quarterback that gets overlooked by the NFL because they don't have the cannon, right? right? Some of these guys have already beaten out the corresponding 
NFL prototype that was also drafted for the AAF, right? These guys, some of these players weren't supposed to be starting for their teams because it was a bigger, stronger, bigger-armed quarterback that they drafted ahead of them who it turns out still sucks, so they're now starting ahead of them. But I think there's a few quarterbacks that will, should at least, at the very minimum, wind up in NFL training camps, and then we'll see what happens. John Wolford. Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert. Anyone else? I mean, we'll see. Johnny Football. We'll see about Johnny Football. We'll see about Johnny line. Football. Um, that's probably it for quarterbacks right now. I can't remember if the last Maybe time we talked about Woodrum. AAF. Maybe Woodrum. I, I can't remember if we mentioned this the last time, though. It started out, and I'm stealing this from um, one of the announcers for the AAF. We talked to, Tom, talked to him at the Combine. He said, it's kind of a second-chance league more than it is developmental league. And I think they want to work it into a developmental league. Yeah. But it really is like the Charles Johnsons of the world having another opportunity to play. So how do you sort that out? A guy that's about 30 years old. And that's the he's thing. He's showing the same NFL talent that he showed a few years ago, but it's just at the AAF level where right. it looks like the best receiver. You know? So that's the thing. I, I don't think that Charles – I mean, Charles Johnson probably deserves another shot at the NFL if you're basing it purely off his AAF tape. But I don't think that it's worth it, right? You look at Charles Johnson. He's had several shots at the NFL – He's 30 at this point. You, I mean, what's, what's the upside? Well, there's also, I think the NFL, I, this would be another really good video for us to do, um, and just numbers that we need to wrap our heads around. I think there's a saturation of receiver talent in the NFL. I think there's, there's different positions that go through cycles. The quarterback position's going through this right now. Like, Ryan Tannehill's a, a viable starting quarterback. He's a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. He has a backup job. I mean, honestly, I think Sam Bradford over the last couple of years has been a viable starter. Right. You know, so there are viable starters either in backup roles or, you know, just not with jobs. And then I think the receiver issue is the same. There's a lot of these reclamation first round receivers. Like what would John Ross do in the AAF? You know, if he was hit, if he was truly hitting the trading block this offseason. Yeah. You'd rather a John Ross than a Charles Johnson. John Ross would probably go to the AAF and be the best receiver. Right. right. So there's a lot. That's what he's competing with. That's the tough thing to wrap your head around. It was like being an independent baseball player, Sam. It's like, man, I'm dominating independent ball. And it's like, oh, you're just another, just a guy, just a jag middle reliever. Right. It's and all that, perspective. That's the analogy I, that came immediately to my mind. Anytime I can relate it to my baseball career, we have to. So do I, don't, I just don't think there's a point in saying, all right, let's see if we, let's see what Charles Johnson has second time around. I don't see the upside there. But. There are some players, I think, where there is. So Keith Reeser, uh, cornerback for the Apollos, I think. Orlando. Orlando Apollos. Yeah. He's been tearing it up. He's been playing extremely well. 93.4 grade. Right. Now, Reeser is a player. He's got a ton of pass breakups, picks, all that kind of thing. Um, he's a player that was in the NFL, drafted back in 15, I think, 14 by the 49ers in the fifth round. But his NFL career was 481 snaps old. 351 of which came in one year in 2016, right? Where he didn't play horrendously, but whatever. Basically, you've got a ton of not given game time. Bounced around on practice squads, did, you know, was buried on people's depth charts. This is a second shot for him. He's killing it in the AAF. He's still only 27 years old, so he's a player where you say, okay, there, there is legitimate upside here. He was a draftable prospect. He didn't get a great shot at the NFL level. He's destroying a lower level of competition. Here's a guy we can bring back in and see if he's gotten better than the last time we evaluated him at the NFL level. And that's at a position of immense value at yes. corner where it does actually, it makes a ton of sense. And receiver makes sense to just throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks. But corner, especially 
throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks. So a guy like Reese certainly should should get a shot. What about J. Ron Elliott? I, I think there's a few um, edge pass rushers that have all played pretty well. They're all the sort of former NFL guys yeah. that have been you know on that roster bubble area. I think a few of those guys will probably get a second look because of that. Elliott was like, he, we, we've touted him as Mr. Preseason the last couple of years, always dominates in the preseason. The thing I always say about edge defender, though, is there's, there's 64 jobs in the world, starting edge roles, and it's something that the NFL finds pretty well. There's a lot of good yeah. edge defenders out there, so it's kind of tough to crack the top 64, but being a rotational edge that can get after the quarterback is valuable in something Elliott probably could do at the NFL level. One player that isn't going to come up in our list, our roundup of players that do deserve a second shot, but everybody else is going to be touting, is Trent Richardson. Oh, right. Yeah. Because he's scoring touchdowns. Um, Trent Richardson is not actually playing tremendously well. He just happens to be giving the ball a ton inside the five-yard line. And if he ever does have good plays, they're within the five-yard line. So his numbers, when it comes to touchdowns, look great. But he's still not averaging a particularly good, healthy, or a particularly healthy yards per carry rate. He's not grading particularly well. There are multiple running backs we have graded higher than Trent Richardson right now. And the bottom line is we haven't seen anything throughout this time in the AF to say, yeah, you know what? He's the guy from Alabama rather than the guy from the NFL. Is he averaging 2.6 per attempt? I'm, I got a little it, bit, yeah. I have it unfiltered from no plays, but... Yeah, pretty much. But 10 touchdowns. Yeah. Or nine, whatever he's got officially. Yeah, so that's just pure volume. Yeah. That's just pure volume. I and mean, he is, like, he's A, being given the ball a ton within inside the five. Like, that's their offense. But also... If he does have a good play, his, some of his carries within the five have been really good. It's just that those have been his best plays. Right. So, it's again, it's skewing perception a bit. Yeah. So, he's pretty much the same guy. He's forcing a ton of missed tackles that aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That is Trent Richardson. Plus, you know, running back. Well, yeah. but I, So, this is the thing, right? Is that there's a ton of people saying, oh, the guys that are the guys earning a second shot, they're the running backs. Like, well, not really. I mean, you know. I mean, not if teams are smart. I mean, this right. is, again, I think if, if NFL teams are going to use the AAF properly, it's where can, where can you have the biggest wins? Can you steal an offensive lineman that's developed over the, over the course of his time there? Can you steal a coverage player that's developed? Could you steal a tight end eraser, a guy that's shown some skills that maybe that weren't on film doing somewhere else, something else? To me, that's where an NFL team is going to find proper value in this league not finding another replaceable running back yeah we've got a 30 year old receiver the other guy i think that's worth mentioning purely because um it's an offensive lineman and the league the aaf has an offensive lineman problem the same way the nfl does consequently if you've got somebody standing out there it's probably worth taking a shot at them see what the numbers look like here uh jordan mccray oh yeah was uh, Central Florida, drafted by the Packers, I think. Again, yeah, played a little bit with the Pack. Right, played a little bit, but you know, ends up being dumped out of the league. Now he's with the AAF, and he's one of the few people on the offensive line that's actually grading well. Now it's not universally grading well, but again, he's the standout offensive line, offensive lineman in a league with some offensive line problems. So and playing center. Worth probably worth taking a look at for an NFL team somewhere. That's the other option there. Right? He's a guy that's played center, that played guard a little bit at the right. NFL level. That, you got some versatility That can be there. significant for players. Yeah. It's not just you know anywhere in the, in the interior is interchangeable. Well, it's just like you're finding Chuma Adoga as this mid-round. I mean, finding 
of this, you know, there's 64 tackle jobs too in the world. Finding a guy that can pass protect is so valuable. I think being creative in how you find that, whether it's a mid round Chuma Adoga from USC, whether it's uh, you know late bloomer right. I mean, the AAF that the, eventually pans out. The bottom line here is we're not necessarily saying any of these guys are future Pro Bowlers, but there are plenty of players on NFL rosters right now that have no business being employed in the right. NFL. There are guys here that could steal roster spots and at least bring something, contribute positively to a team. So there you go. If you guys want your AAF data, it's all part of your PFF Elite package. We said we, the fans are going to be dying for this. They're loving it. So uh, well, anytime it's you available. Can, you can give a Johnny football grade. You've, you've got to put one out there. Yeah, we've got to put it out there. Right. So we've got grades on everybody in the AAF with your Elite package. It's all in premium stats 2.0. Um, so you just change the league from NFL to AAF. Yeah, top left-hand nice corner is a little drop-down along with season and weeks. You can just drop it down from NFL to AAF and see all those grades. Cool. Good for today? Yeah. Let's wrap it up? Mm-hmm. All right. That'll do it. do it for us for today. Uh, Renner's back off of his um, – what's he on? Was he on spring break? Yeah, I think so. Vacation. Spring, yeah, so Mike's back from spring break later this week. I'll probably steal him back for the pod for some draft talk. Unless, unless your draft study is just so intense the next couple of days, we – Bring it back. See how you do. You you're okay? going to bring back Mike. Just, there's no reason. You don't need to, you know. I'd rather be with you. Placate me. You're, you're going to bring Mike back. Our chemistry is just improving left and right. <laughs> so, you know, every week I don't, I don't want to lose it. Um, either way, we'll do a draft-centric episode later in the week. And tons of content coming out all week on the YouTube channel. And, of course, PFF Edge and Elite. It's where you need to be as we continue to add more to the draft guide and AAF stats and all that fun stuff. So, thanks for tuning in. And we'll chat with you guys later in the week. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.